to that, that rhythm. Specifically, we've been talking about it from 1 Kings chapter 8. The scripture says, this is, this is a prayer of Solomon. He's at the, he's at the foundation time when the, te- when the temple is taking off. The, 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 the presence of God has literally descended on the place. It's a spectacular moment in the history of Israel. Spectacular moment in the history of mankind. God has taken residence in a town. Up to that point, he'd been on the move, right, in a tent. It was pretty, pretty cool that he was taking residence in a tent. But now he's taking residence in a town. You can go to a town and visit God during this period. How cool is that? At that moment, in that experience, at the height of all of that, this is where this prayer from Solomon comes, and this line from this prayer comes to us today. And as he's kind of wrapping it up and he's blessing the people, this is, to me, the high point of that blessing, that he, God, may incline our hearts to himself to walk in all his ways, that he... God may incline our hearts. So if he needs to incline our hearts, what does that mean about our hearts? We're not inclined, right? We're disinclined to follow God in a normal state. But he's praying that our hearts might be inclined to be in connection with God, that we may walk in all his ways. Remind you of this Hebrew word? Natah. The Hebrew word simply means to be bent or stretched, to be shaped, to be inclined. It means that we have to be kind of worked on to make us be inclined with God's heart. Do you remember any of this from a couple weeks ago? Okay, good, thank you. There are like three of you. Those of you who don't, we'll just kind of keep repeating it. So you got the picture, right? He's bending us. He's, he's shaping us so that we're inclined with his heart, so that we're in alignment, because we've been out of alignment since sin came into our planet. And he's asking God, Solomon is asking God to incline all the people to, his, to that, that heartbeat of his, that, that, that sense of his own heart. And that's what we've been... I've been praying over you, and that's what I've been asking God to do, to incline us to his heart, to really to set our temple to his tempo, to set our beat to his beat. So I want you to take your fingers. If you like me, you're going to have to roll up your sleeve maybe. And I want you to reach out here onto the, just above your, your thumb. See if you can find your pulse. Children have pulses too. You can check yours. You feel it? Go ahead, participate. This won't hurt. You feel it? Do you have one? If you don't have one, we need to talk to you really quickly. Stop and think for a second. That rhythm is what keeps you alive. Everything else about you is dependent on this little rhythmic beat. resting heart your exercise heart it's what keeps your cells functioning it's what keeps the oxygen moving through your body that rhythm all of us have a rhythm that's the rhythm the physical rhythm of your body that's who you are without that you stop when an emergency happens the first thing that they do when they're checking on you is they see they check to see. If you've been in an accident, they check to see if you have a pulse. If something bad has happened to you, they're looking for your pulse. They're trying to find it. If they can't find one, they try to get it started again, right? Because without that particular rhythm, everything else doesn't matter. You have all your parts. Everything's there. All of your body parts are in existence, but they don't have a pulse. They cease to exist. And you will very shortly become daisy feet. You have a rhythm. 
reason I bring it up is because I love this, the way the message describes this passage. Same passage. Message Bible. His translation. Dr. Peterson's translation. May he keep us centered and devoted to him, following the life path he has cleared. We talked about those footsteps. Watching the signposts. Walking at the pace and rhythms he laid down for our exile. God's God's rhythm. A spiritual life has a rhythm. A spiritual life has a pace. A spiritual life has a rhythm. It has a pace. You get up in the morning and you open your Bible and you pray and you reach out to God. It sets a pace. It sets a rhythm. It sets a pace. It sets a rhythm. Did you notice the second song today? It started with the bass player. Now, I did not set that up. That just was something that they decided to do on their own. Did you notice that the bass player set the rhythm? Did you notice? It's a song called Known. It's a great song. If, you're, if it's an unfamiliar song to you, you can look it up on the, on the Internet, listen to the songs to be fully known and loved by you. Man, it's hard truth and ridiculous grace to be fully known and loved by you. Amazing song. But did you catch the bass strutting the rhythm? Bass player starts that song out. He hits, the, he hits those first notes, sort of sets the role, sets that, the tone, sets the tune. And then the drummer and the guitarist came in, and then the vocalist came in. And you saw the building on those initial building blocks, right? That, that rhythm, as it began to be picked up by others, as, that, as they came into agreement, listen carefully, as they all came into agreement with the rhythm and the function of that song, it became a song. If they all played discordant notes in diff- different rhythms, we would not have a song, Right? And as they began to sing, what they were beginning to sing became a testimony. And as that testimony carried out, it became worship. And as we joined, joined in, it became worship and fellowship. Do you get it? There's a rhythm to this thing. There's a rhythm to our spiritual life. There's a rhythm to a church. There's a rhythm to it. And as we join in that rhythm, as we catch the beat, as we join in agreement with that thing, it's bigger than us. It grows larger than what we are capable of doing on our own. There's a syncretism to it. When we follow in the rhythms of God, when we step into the, root, the footsteps of God, when we follow after His pattern, those rhythms and those patterns carry us along as a group. We follow in the footsteps of our Father. We pick up His pace. We catch the rhythm of His pace from day to day in worship, from Sabbath to Sabbath we meet together, from day to day in worship, from Sabbath to Sabbath we meet together. Not on high Sabbath at Thanksgiving and high Sabbath at Christmas and high Sabbath at Easter. We celebrate specific events and specific things. Our thankfulness to God, the coming of Christ, the sacrifice of His Son. We celebrate those things in a rhythm. It's a rhythm of our spiritual life. Do you get it? Do you see it? It's like we're all in a big choir. And as we catch the rhythm, as we catch this movement, as we catch the pace that God is setting, as we follow along with that pace, as we move along with it, it begins to grow. And a congregation is born out of the rhythms of a group of people following the pace that God has set. Do you get it? Do you see it? Do you understand it? As we come into agreement with those paces that God set, we find ourselves swept along in sort of this this choir, this spectacular expression of something much more than what we are as we follow in the pace that God set. Amos would say it in chapter 3, verse 3. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Have you ever tried to walk with someone and been out of pace? I remember when I was a little kid. Where's my mom? There you are. 
When I was a little kid, my mom would take me to the mall. Now, a mall when I was a kid is different from a mall today. Those of you who are my age, you understand that. My mom, she doesn't have very long legs. And so she would walk a very quick pace. And as a little kid, my mom is just booking along super fast. These little legs are just jamming. And as a little kid, I'm trying to hurry to catch up. And I can remember saying to my mom, slow down. And my mom's saying, keep up. She was setting a pace. She was setting a rhythm. I was trying to keep up, but I was just too little to keep, to keep that same pace. You can't walk together with someone unless you are agreed, unless you begin to pick up the pace, unless you start to, to settle into a rhythm that you can all maintain. Did you know, did you know, did you know that the pace of a caravan is set by the slowest camel? You realize that? doesn't matter how fast all the camels can go. The pace of a caravan is set by the slowest camel. Someday I'll write a book called The Slowest Camel, but we'll talk about it later. Someone else, a friend of mine, wants to write a book called Just Shoot the Slowest Camel, but that's a different story. <laughs> that changed the pace, I suppose, so you had to bury that camel. As two walk together, can they do it unless they are agreed, unless they're at the same pace, unless they understand, unless they're working towards the same destination, along the same route, and at the same pace? Can two walk together if they're going through different destinations? No, we call this unequally yoked, Right? If, you're, if your partner in your, in, in your company is a crook and they're going after stealing the money and you're going after trying to fund the business, who's, who's going to be able to keep up? What's going to happen to the business? It's going to be destroyed, right? Because you're not going to the same place. Now, if you're both interested in stealing the money, well, that's like, okay, I guess you, don't, you just empty the bank account. When that's done, you're done. But if you're, different, if you're going to different destinations, you can't keep this thing going. The same thing is true of marriages. If you're going to different destinations, you can't keep this thing going very well. This is why we talk about unequally yoked. I, I, I really don't like the way we talk about this because you can be unequally yoked in a lot of different ways. We need to really expand our thinking about this. By the way, if you're thinking about getting married, think this over carefully. If marriage is in your future someday, think this over carefully. If you're already married, think this over carefully. Work on this. Work on it. Destination, route, pace. Destination, route, pace. Destination, route, pace. Where are we going? How are we getting there? Or how fast will we travel? Where are we going? How are we getting there? How fast will we travel? Destination, route, pace. Destination. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is saying if you put the priority on God, all the other stuff will take care of itself. Is that true in your life? I'm kind of looking to see just for how many people it's true for. So it seems like about 25%. Let's see, I guess that's a start. For the rest of you, it can be true for your life. If you put God's kingdom first, it will, carry, it will carry as a necessity the rest of the things you need. Set the destination. Seek first the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Set the route. The route is Jesus. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. It's an interesting route he's chosen. He said, I've come. To lead you to life. I've come to take you to where you need to go. I've taken you to eternal life. But I've come to do it in the funnest way possible. We're going to do this in the best way possible. We're going to do this so that your life is as, as good as it can be. Considering where you live. Considering you live in the armpit of the universe. We're going to do this as the best we can. Get, given the restrictions we have. Given how broken you are. How messed up you are. And how messed up all the people around you are. This is the route we're picking. 
This is where we're going. The destination is the kingdom. The destination is home with heaven. The destination is to be with God. His righteousness. It's to follow after him in everything. That's the destination. The process to follow Jesus through this abundant walk. You pick up that pace and the abundance is built in. You pick up that pace, the abundance is built in. You pick up that pace, the abundance is built in. You pick up that pace in your finances. When you start to realize that giving is a necessity for the elimination of my selfishness, it, becomes to, it begins to enrich your life. It begins to change the way you think. It changes the way you look at money. Because if giving is a part of who you are, if it's not just something you do, but it becomes part of who you are, it starts to continuously battle against your natural selfishness. It also battles your pride because you know we keep score with money, right? You know we keep score with money, right? I have more, you have less, so I am better off than you are. I'm better than you are. Our pride can creep into our money too. If we, if we continue, continue to give, it erodes our pride and our selfishness. In this pattern of following after God, in this pattern after walking after God, in this pacing, in this pattern, in this pacing, in this pattern is abundance. The route Jesus has chosen for us as he sets the pace, as he begins to direct where we're going, he points us to abundance. The pace is described in this very, one of my favorite texts in all the Bible. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. How many of you want to be at a restful pace? Wouldn't it be nicer if our lives were more restful? If we had a more restful pace. Well, think about that. If you woke up every morning and you handed everything over to Jesus. Jesus, here are all my worries. Here are all my troubles. Here are all the things I'm concerned about. You take them. I'm going to follow you today. You're in charge of what happens after that. I'm good. I'm going to trust you. If you handed it all over to him and started your day, would that give you more rest? Well, and then every, every seventh day, he's saying, hey, you've worked, all th- you've worked six. Take this one. Now, now pr- in preparation for the next six, I want you to rest. Just stop. Take a break. And truly believe that I can handle it. Because the Sabbath is really an exercise of faith that God knows what he's doing. It really is. It's like you and I taking the day off and saying, I'm, ta- I'm taking the day off, God, because I actually believe that you are God. And I'm cool with it. So there's a pace to our life. There's a rhythm to our life. And that rhythm is restful. Because we're yoked together with someone who's taking us to the kingdom to demonstrate God's righteousness. He's trying to do it in the most bountiful way, the way that is filled with abundance. And he promised to pull the lion's share of the land. It's a good rhythm. It's a good pace. It's a good rhythm. It's a good rhythm. Walking in God's rhythm produces alignment can two walk together unless they be agreed walking in God's rhythm produces alignment you ever see a marching band when one person one person gets out of step you got this whole group of people there can be a hundred people in this line and they're all marching along and some goofball misses the step and pretty soon not only does he start looking odd and start sticking out, pretty soon other people start getting mixed up about what the, what the rhythm of the step is, and now this thing is all destroyed, and they almost have to stop the entire thing to get them back in rhythm. You ever notice that? When you start walking in the rhythm that God provides, you find yourself in alignment with God. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Walking in the rhythm with God. 
I want to redefine it. I want to give you a term for it, a term we're real familiar with around here. The term is discipleship. Walking at the pace and in the rhythm of God is, is the, the, the organic definition of discipleship. When yours life and my life is in alignment with God, we're discovering discipleship. We're in a process that reveals disciples. What is a disciple but someone who follows? Right? What is a disciple but some who mimics the master? All of us are called to disciples. Around here we talk about discipleship, <coughs> worship, fellowship, service, outreach. We talk about all of those things, right? Discipleship is the foundation of all of that. Walking and catching the rhythm of God in our own life, beginning to capture a process that makes sense for us, that gathers us into the pacing that God has for our life. When that rhythm starts to take hold, we find ourselves in alignment with God, and that is discipleship. Got it? I said everything I've said so far just to get you to that point, so you need to make sure you get this, okay? That is discipleship. Now, we define it with learning. We define it with classes. We define it with some sorts of struggles and, and, and sort, of, sort of, I don't know, extreme measures. We always feel like discipleship is something we have to work at and earn and struggle with. The Bible's description, if I understand this correctly, is simply saying that when we catch the rhythm that God is laying down, we find ourselves in alignment with God. When we find ourselves in alignment with God, we find ourselves looking like God. When we find ourselves looking like God, that is the definition of discipleship. By this they will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, you caught my rhythm. <laughs> and you learn to direct it to each other. I love you so much that I'm willing to die for you. When they see that kind of thing in you, they'll know that you are in fact my disciples. If you align yourself to me, to walk together with me. Jesus' statement <coughs> excuse me, in John chapter 10, then defines how that life will be. Now you've found discipleship is the alignment. Now come the blessing of being in alignment. Do you get this? In your spiritual life, blessings come as a natural part of being in alignment. In your spiritual life, the blessings of God come as a natural part of being in alignment with God. The one who designed the planet said, this is how you live on this planet. This is the pace of this planet. Live in this pace and you will find blessings flowing naturally to you. You will find blessings flowing in your life naturally. Because this is the way God designed you. And this is good, the way God designed you to function in this place. And as, as you begin to align yourself, abundance naturally happens. Abundance happens. When you start to recognize God's abundance, cool things start to take place. Psalm chapter 7, verse 17. Oh, how grateful and thankful I am to the Lord because he is so good. Stop for a sec. How do you find balance? Align yourself. You catch the rhythm. see it begin to work out in your life, you start feeling the blessings of that rhythm, and that rhythm just gives flow to your life. And as it does, the abundance begins to happen 
reflect the knowledge and the understanding of who God is and how much he cares about you, how much he loves you, the fact that he is a good father, start to become real to you. And then I will sing praise to the name of the Lord who is above all names. When that path starts to match up, when those steps and his steps start to match up, the response to that praise is worship. You get it? You ever been in a place where you just were so blessed by what was going on, you just felt like you had to sing or you had to say something, you had to say yay, you had to praise, you had to say thank you, something had to come out of you because it just couldn't stay in there anymore? That's what worship is supposed to be. Now, I know we, we get you together from Sabbath to Sabbath and we start encouraging and we start get, trying, to, trying to talk you into worshiping, trying to get you to, okay, okay, everybody stand on this song so we can all worship together. And people stand and they're like, I don't want to stand. I hate standing. People sit back down and people say, oh, I don't want to stand. I'm too short. I can't see around the person in front of me. Ah, and you get grumpy about it. Why? Because you're out of pace. You're out of pace. And when you're out of pace and somebody's trying to lead you into worship, you're off beat all the time. You're, you're, you're not flowing with the worship. And if you're off beat, it's hard to catch that vibe. It's hard to catch that worship vibe. Because it's like a wave that comes across. My wife and I walked out uh, a couple nights ago. She was doing something in the house. And I said, you have to come outside right now. I was like, wait, I got to get. Uh, no, no, no. Just grab your shoes and come outside right now. Walked out into our backyard and the sun sets directly out to the east behind our house as, as we, west, sorry, as we look out, <laughs> our house is unusual. As we look out the back fence, over the back fence, the sky is just glorious. We're parked behind our house, so we walked out the gate, walked over to the park, there's a little, like, rise on one end, and we just stood there, just, just embracing the beauty of the pace of the end here God had displayed in spectacular fashion the end of the day. And as we stood there, our worship response rose up. Do you understand? If you've never experienced this, you need to, you need to maybe get that piece figured out. Because if you've never, this is the natural outcome of a disciple's pace. A disciple's pace leads to a disciple's worship. And when that worship is brought together in a large group, it becomes the worship of fellowship and the fellowship of worship. And when it begins to align and agree, it becomes something very special. It becomes spectacular. I sit in the front row most of the time for obvious reasons. I get back there, I'm too distracted. I have to sit in the front. But I, when I hear you worship, just grow in gratitude. My own worship grows. When I hear the church singing, my own experience grows. The moment of my own heart's transformation grows. I feel it. I was in, a, I was in the Oakland Coliseum with 40,000 men. It was for a Promise Keepers event. And we all were singing. And in the midst of this massive crowd, I mean, I, I, if you've never heard a thousand men sing, or a forty thousand men sing, 
it's, it's, a, it's a spectacular thing. I have nothing against ladies' voices. But there's something in the resonance of a male's voice that reaches inside of you and touches you in a place that nothing else does. And to, to be in this place, I had to stop singing. Not because I didn't want to worship. But because I felt the worship so strongly. It was more than just the words of the song or the tune. It was the agreement of the song and the words and the tune. Today we said that the stars were made to worship. So us into agreement brings us to worship and that worship when they got together and fellowship us strengthens who we are and things that we were not capable of by ourselves we can do together and that's happened truly and as that did you begin to sense This is the crazy thing. This is the wild, amazing, fantastic thing of spirituality. That pace at first is difficult. It's like a kid learning to play the piano. At first, it's a little awkward. It doesn't sound right. The tone doesn't always come out the way you hoped it would. But eventually, you start to get it. And eventually, it becomes natural. And eventually, it becomes normal. And you grow in your spiritual life. And pretty soon, you find yourself walking in steps. Maybe not every step but mostly in alignment with what God wants for you. And as you do, you feel the natural results of life change. That, that alignment creates in you, and you have only one to thank, and that is God. And you thank God by recognizing His worth, worship. Recognizing His value, worship. Recognizing His goodness, worship. Recognizing His love, worship. As that grows and it builds and you do it with others, faith grows and it builds and you trust and you get stronger. Then soon you have the kind of faith that can face death and worship. Perhaps the strongest statement of faith and worship is found in the book of Job. You remember the book of Job. Horrible things are coming into his life, left and right. It's just crashing down on him. And it's frustrating and it's sad and it's hard. And reading the book is just as frustrating and sad and hard, unless you read the first couple chapters. But in the middle of it, as the storm rages, Job says, Though he slay me, even if he killed me himself, still I will trust him. Because he has walked the pace and the rhythm of God for long enough to know in his core that God loves him and God can trust him and he can trust God. 
discover no matter what they hear the footsteps of because God wants us to be able to Thank you, Lord, for trials, for having an interest in us, ultimate time signature, a time signature on our lives. Thank you for setting a pace that we can keep up, for not striding from star to star across the universe taking little minuscule three-foot two-foot steps that we can reach so that we can fall into the pit you're trying to build into our lives and then trust for your discovery of that walk in your goodness grace and your love follow in the footsteps you've laid out ahead of us, to follow in the well-worn path of thousands and millions of believers, billions of believers who've gone before us. And to embrace and understand that we can trust.